welcome to Spirit Tea with Nikki, the podcast where we talk about all things related to lifestyle and spirituality. I am your host, Nikki, certified energy healer and spiritual psychic medium. I started this podcast to share my experiences, to connect further with all of you, and to most importantly, have fun while doing it. This is a podcast where I share personal stories and insight from the spiritual and physical realms. So make yourself a tea, get cozy, and hang out with me. Welcome to episode one of my podcast. I want to first start off with saying thank you for being here and for listening. I've always wanted to start a podcast, but I often wondered if people would actually listen to it. And I guess in many ways that stopped me from doing it. I've always been a very private person when it comes to my personal life, but something inside of me has just been telling me to start sharing. So many of you know me for what I do, but most of you don't know me or my story. And what better way to kick off the first episode with exactly that? So we're going to go back into the past today. I was originally born in Taipei, Taiwan. I immigrated to Vancouver, Canada with my dad and my half-brother. Many of you probably don't know this, but I grew up without my mom. I actually never knew her. I never met her. And the only things I knew about her was what my dad would tell me or my brother would tell me. And the stories were far from pleasant. They had told me that my mom was a heroin addict and she was mentally unstable and basically had to flee Taiwan to get me away from her. So I grew up with a lot of that as what I knew about her. But my dad, he was a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. He had multiple hospitals and clinics in Taiwan, and he, of course, brought his practice to Vancouver when we came here. Well, more particularly, he actually opened his practice in Richmond first, and I would go to work with him, and I would meet a lot of his clients from all over the place, and they would just all praise him and say such amazing things about him. He was a healer by nature. He was remarkable. He was a miracle worker. I definitely grew up with stars in my eyes when it came to my dad. And of course, I was daddy's little girl. I absolutely adored him. Now, I'm speaking a little bit in the past tense because when I was eight years old, my dad actually had passed away. He had gotten really, really sick with, I don't really even know, to be honest, like what exactly it was, but I know that it was just organ failure. He had a whole lot of problems. He had diabetes. He had high blood pressure. He had cholesterol issues. And just gradually over time, I watched his health deteriorate. He used to have a hole in his stomach where he would actually have to like do like connect himself to an IV drip and it was really hard to witness that because he just like couldn't eat anything he couldn't 
drink anything. Like everything made him sick. And I would still watch him day in and day out, you know, tend to his patients, show up for work. And it was really hard because you just don't know what's going on. (laughs) Sorry, this is kind of hard for me to talk about. I usually am fine when I talk about it, but for some reason, just opening up like this with you guys is making me quite emotional. So anyways, my dad had passed away very suddenly and I wasn't able to know about it until about a year later. So which brings me to my first ever ghostly experience. I remember laying in my bed at like eight years old and seeing a figure sat in my doorway. And at this point, the story was that my dad had to leave out of the country to work, which was a lie. (laughs) And I knew this because I I just knew something was wrong, but I didn't really know what it was. So anyways, I'm laying in bed and I see a figure and just like this amazing, beautiful energy radiate through my body. And it was so comforting. And I remember at the time I was very confused, but I remember knowing, just having an inner knowing that it was my dad coming to visit. But obviously that was kind of confusing because the story that was told to me was that he was alive. And I just remember saying out loud, like, hi, dad, (laughs) I don't really want to see you because I'm scared, but I love you so much. And I'm sorry that I didn't get to be there for you. And for like eight years old, that's crazy because I feel like when you're eight, you don't really know what's going on. But I just had this like, I just had this inner knowing. And it was really hard for me at the time because on one end, no one's telling you what's going on. And on another end, you're just, you know, you're eight. You need parents, you need love, you need support. And at the time... I was just staying at like a homestay situation. So I definitely felt very sad and very unsure. And after my dad passed, there was just a lot of chaos and there was a lot of grief and there was a lot of unknowing, like I said. And eventually my half-brother had to take guardianship over me. And so my half-brother, I say that because we have different moms, but we have the same dad. And he was about 25 years old at the time of my dad's passing. So he had taken over the family business. He took over the clinic. He was, in a lot of ways, like my dad's right hand. But my brother had a very, very challenging time with my dad's passing. 
and he had developed a very bad alcohol problem and he was extremely abusive as well. And this just showed me what grief can do to you. And my brother didn't tell me that my dad had passed away until I was nine. So for a year, I was just like fed a bunch of lies, I guess. And then just watched also my brother fall into this spiral of addiction. And he just did not deal with the stress and the responsibilities at all very well. And understandably so. Now having to take care of a child just at the age of 25. So my brother was my main guardian. And he did his best. But it was definitely not it. My brother had a very severe alcohol problem and he would drink uncontrollably every single night. And he put us into extreme debt to support his habit. And he would black out every night. And he would become very, very abusive towards me. He would be physically abusive emotionally and verbally very abusive. And it's crazy because when I started doing therapy, when I got older, a lot of what people would say to me and describe to me was that my brother was actually not only abusive, but tortured me. So I'd grown up in really, really difficult circumstances with that. He would wake me up in the middle of the night to, like, hit me. He used different objects to hit me. I had, like, the biggest fear of clothes hangers for the longest time of my life. It was such a phobia because he would literally take those, like, big, like, no, those plastic ones. He would, like, hit me with those to the point that it would literally snap. He would use metal clothes hangers, and he would hit me until it would it would literally bend around my skin. And I remember going to school, like I was only in like grade six, grade seven, when this was happening really badly. And I would go to school with bruises on my body and like whip marks all over my body. And I just remember wanting to hide it so bad, but literally not having any money to like, <laughs> to buy makeup or anything like that to do so. And just a lot of like questions, right, from your teachers and from people. But I just always kind of brush it off because I was always told, you know, don't tell anybody that I hit you because they'll take you away. And then you're going to go into foster care and all these things. So I kept my mouth shut for a really long time and I just dealt with all of that. And school was really, really difficult. I got bullied a lot. I don't know if you guys know this, but I was bullied so badly. Like, I wasn't necessarily, like, beat up or anything, but people were so mean. Like, kids are so mean. It's crazy. So that just didn't help. I definitely had to grow up a lot faster than everyone else around me. It was hard for me to make friends. It was hard for me to fit in, obviously. And... When I was 
just shy of 14. Basically, just like at the end of grade eight, that was a also a very interesting time because I had moved around a lot. So because of the abuse that I had dealt with and the uncertainty of like housing and not knowing what to do and thinking, you know, my dad was alive and not being alive, like I had developed some pretty severe anxiety and I would say also depression. And I had a lot of suicidal thoughts and tendencies really, really young. I hurt myself quite a bit. I had a secret little problem with self-harm. So a lot of you know nowadays that I have a lot of tattoos and I have a lot of tattoos because I have a lot of scars. So that's another secret. (laughs) But anyways, going into high school, my brother's addiction never got any better. It literally just always got worse and the abuse never stopped. However, he became a little bit like cool in some ways because he would let me and my friends party with him. So I would have friends over, we would drink a little bit too much, we would just do rebellious teenage stuff. However, that was quite short-lived because one day my brother actually started to dabble with other drugs. So he was really into ketamine and he would just full-on blackout. A lot of the times he would just not remember what was going on. He would have no recollection of any memories or anything that had happened, anything he did to me, anything he said to me. It was just blank. And one day he actually took it a little bit too far. And in the morning he had beat on me to the point where actually I was bleeding from my neck and I just decided to run. I mean, this was definitely not the first time I thought about running away, but I ran to my school. And the thing is, at that time, a lot of the teachers actually knew that there was something very wrong because the bruises and the whip marks and the black eyes and the lesions on my body, those never stopped. So I happened to run to my school and the moment that I opened the door, a teacher that had previously talked to me to try to ask me if I was okay had literally seen me. We locked eyes and she just without saying a word just hugged me and walked me into like the counselor's office. From there, my life changed again drastically. I was all of a sudden there was a social worker from the Ministry of Family Development. Social worker came and she had basically run me through the protocol and asked me what happened. And I basically just wasn't ever going to see my brother again. I pretty quickly became a, what they call a ward of the government because I didn't have record of my mom and my dad had passed away. So I immediately was put into basically foster care, but I was also very adamant on not going into foster care for plethora of reasons. 
and mainly just because I wanted to be with like my friends. And one part of me, I was relieved because I felt like I was about to like maybe have a new family or something. And also I was just relieved that I wasn't going to get beat on anymore. But all in all, with that whole part of my life, I have been in over 20 something odd homes. Um, in the beginning, I was definitely kind of like couch surfing, staying with friends and stuff. Definitely not, wasn't easy. I partied a lot doing that. I dabbled in a lot of things doing that. I got into situations I shouldn't have been in those times of my life. And finally, I landed a foster home. And the foster home was had a mom, had a worker. And I basically was thinking like, okay, yes, finally, I will have a mom now. And that was quite short-lived. It was crazy to like bounce around as much as I did. And it's crazy to know the relationships that you make and how quickly they can be taken away. And being 14, 15, 16 years old, it's just absolutely insane. There's no stability. There was no certainty. And it's like foster care is really just not what it people think it is. It was really hard. I was definitely thrown around in the system as well. I was, my needs were not met. I ended up going into a group home at some point, which was actually due to negligence by my social worker. And in this group home, I had a list of rules that I had to really follow. And basically, it was like jail. <laughs> and you had to live with a whole bunch of unstable youth as well. And I was actually quite far from what was familiar to me. So again, I grew up mostly in the city of Richmond, but they had put me in a foster home or a group home that was in like East Vancouver. So being in that home, I had witnessed crazy things like someone taking their life due to a withdrawal from heroin. I was also bullied there too. And it was just horrible, horrible circumstances. Definitely not what people think. And honestly, unless you've been in that situation, you would never know. And I had gone eventually out of that whole situation. And I pleaded and I wrote letters and I had, because I had also been to so many schools, people knew that I was in need of help. So I had a lot of teachers and principals vouch for me to go on what was called independent living. So independent living is usually granted to youth that are 16 and older, where the government gives you a small allowance every month to pay for your rent, pay for basic necessities, et cetera, et cetera. When I'm saying basic, I'm literally saying like $1,000 a month for everything. And I was not doing well in school because I obviously was in survival mode. I literally could not attend. And my schools were lenient, but they also were very strict in a lot of ways because they just didn't understand how crazy my situation was. Nor was there really much grace 
towards it as well. So during that time, I was probably already in grade 10 or so, grade 11. And I was also very bullied there, like terribly. I was also in a very abusive relationship at the time. I was codependent on my partner. The people at school knew this and took advantage of that and would make up stories about me so that I would have to go home from school and literally get beat on by my, at that time, boyfriend over rumors. It was not a good time. I struggled severely with my mental health at that time. I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, severe depression, severe anxiety. I was put on antidepressants against my will, basically, because the government makes you sign contracts about these types of things. And in order to get the money that I would get every month, I would have to be on these programs. So I was all drugged up on a whole bunch of different things all the time. None of it made me feel good. And at the end of the day, there was nothing chemically wrong with me. I literally was just a traumatized child teenager that was trying to survive. And they tried to like, just dose me up. Anyways. So I've gone through a lot of the system, the medical system, the foster care system, and ultimately I dropped out of school, okay? I also got in a lot of fights. I did a lot of crazy shit, and it was just not a good look. It was just not a good time for me. I wasn't having, no one was having fun, and I just needed to focus on how I was going to survive. So at basically grade 11, I dropped out and I just started to do whatever I could to make a little bit of money. I got into some certain friend groups that maybe weren't so good for me. I don't regret anything, but I definitely had to do things very unconventionally. I never like sold my body or anything like that, but I just did unconventional things to be able to survive. But through that, I actually had developed my own addiction. So basically, at the age of 18, I discovered Percocets. And I remember it was because that at the time I was with my new group of friends and we were, they were all getting tattoos and we all got tattoos. And I, this was the first time I got my, my back done. And I remember like all the guys would, would take perks. So one day I just decided to take it for fun and I fell in love with it. I had no idea what it was. I just knew how I felt and how good it felt. And I also thought like, hey, this is a prescription, like doctors give it to us or give it to people. So it should be safe. It should be fine. And whatever. So that was when I had entered my what ended up being my four year addiction. But that is for a different episode. I'm going to actually dive really deep into that. But basically, 
from that point onwards, I was absolutely and completely independent. I also tried to get my own like normal job as well. So I ended up working at different little places, but ultimately I spent my late teen years and early adulthood years in transportation, logistics, and customs. So that is where I learned definitely a lot and grew a lot. But that's also where I started to really get deep into my faith and my spirituality. And it's interesting because I was also high all the time. (laughs) But I was also very, very connected. And I've always been very spiritual. Like, I grew up very spiritual. My family was Buddhist. I have always worn a jade Buddha necklace around my neck since I was a baby. And a lot of you will see the same necklace or that I wear today. And a huge reason why I continue to wear it is literally because of my faith. And it's not that I'm only Buddhist, but just kind of like a tribute to knowing that I was always very spiritual. So from there, I was in that industry for six to seven years. And it was crazy. And again, there's a big gap in this story because I'm going to talk about my addiction and my recovery in the next episode. But I had found a lot of my spirituality in this kind of chapter of my life. So I was able to predict a lot of like little things. Like I remember with like certain friends and stuff, they would like tell me things. And this happened like all throughout my teenage years too, but there's a lot that was happening, right? So people would tell me about their problems and I would essentially be able to predict the outcome. I was always very keen on listening and being helpful and just doing whatever I could to be of service. I remember getting visions Uh, I just never knew what was going on, though, because, again, most of my childhood and my teenage years, I was literally, like, diagnosed with, like, five different types of disorders, and you just don't really trust yourself in those times. But it was something that was definitely worth noting because I just remember seeing different things, feeling different things, and because I was also dabbling with different substances throughout my younger years... I would definitely see lots of different things that no one else could see, whether that be spirits or monster looking things or shadows. Like it was very normal. But again, sometimes you're just also hallucinating. So you just, we weren't always just sure what was happening here. However, I really focused a lot of my life around building security for myself in very unstable situations because I never had that. So, you know, from dropping out of school, it was like, well, what are you going to do with yourself? What are you going to make of yourself? The very only thing that I ever wanted was just to have a home. And that's what I did. So I worked and I got my first apartment. I started being able to 
live relatively comfortably with a raging addiction. (laughs) And I guess in a way, I was very proud of myself too. I definitely felt like the system had failed me. I was definitely very resentful. I was actually a very angry and violent and emotional child slash teenager. I got myself in a lot of risky situations all the time. I should have, there were so many situations in that pocket of my life that I probably shouldn't have made it out. And I did. (laughs) And, you know, it's interesting because at the time I didn't know what it was, but now I do. But it was definitely like some sort of higher power, some sort of source situation. And it really allowed me to reflect and think about how everything had really failed me. Everything that I thought I could trust in, whether it be my own family or the government or my foster family or my group home people, like just everyone failed me. And it was until I actually aged out of the system. So When you turn 19, you're basically on your own. You don't get any support. You don't get any help. You basically just get like a pat on the back and a final check. And as much as I was relieved and happy to be out of the system, I was also so, so, so resentful. And at that point in my life, I was doing decent enough to have a roof over my head, food in my stomach and all of that. But I was so, so mad. And at that point, I still didn't have a relationship with my brother. He actually had full on kind of went off the deep end in a lot of ways when it comes to his own addictions. And as much as I tried to, in some way, shape or form, repair my relationship with him, because part of social work programs is to try and reconcile with family. It just did not go well. He was quite deteriorated mentally from his own addictions. He had actually started to dabble with crystal meth. And that was just devastating because he no longer was there. He had suffered from psychosis and he was very manipulative more than he was before. And I definitely had my trust broken over and over again by wanting to reconcile. So honestly, from my younger, younger, youngest years, all the way until I was at least 22, 23 years old, my life was absolute hell. And I can say that (laughs) because I'm almost 30 now. So A lot has happened since then, but it was crazy and it was a really troublesome time of my life and it was an absolute movie. And people always say like, you should write a book, you should document these things, you should share. And I just, this is me sharing now. (laughs) No, it's never too late to get started on that. But I wanted to do this podcast so... I can get it out there. And let me tell you, I have 
stopped and paused and tried to record this one episode so many times because, again, I have this part of me that just wants things to be perfect. But there is perfection and imperfection. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's first episode where I talk a little bit about my life and we're going to continue with episode two where I dive a little bit deeper into what I talked about but also into my addiction and recovery story. So tune in next week for all of that goodness. I hope you were able to learn a little bit more about me. I hope it wasn't too emotional for you guys. And thank you again for being here. And thanks for hanging out with me today.